0: All right, welcome everybody to episode two of ASLA Virginia Presents Watershed Moments, where landscape architects, allied design professions, contractors, and developers will gather to talk about the very complicated world that we operate in. Now, an all too common problem that plagues our profession revolves around breakdowns in communication. And it's also a huge topic that impacts our own internal teams, our collaboration with others, our clients, and especially our allied trades. Um, While we could talk endlessly about these different scenarios from where communication is broken down, um, we might begin to go over the topic in some more broad ways. So instead, we're going to define maybe three general areas where this falls under and then connect this back with our last session on episode one, where Stephen Talley joined us and discuss how that might interact with your accountability and ownership. Um, I'm joined today by Jesse Barnes. And she is a landscape architect and a project manager at Three North, a basically a design firm here in Richmond, Virginia. It's filled with landscape architects, architects, and tier designers. Um, and I've had the pleasure of working with her at our ASLA Virginia Emerging Professionals Committee, where she co-leads an outreach and mentorship efforts for younger students and young professionals. And welcome, Jesse. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Excited?
1: Uh, just- Thrilled.
0: So thrilled. So happy happy to be here. But no, I I do appreciate you being here. I'm curious, like, as we start out, I asked Stephen this, and this might be a reoccurring question over the next 12 episodes, but um, what is your impression so far of this leadership and communications program? And kind of how'd you get into it? What do you think about going into it?
1: Um, well, going into it, I really had no idea what to expect. Um, the last time I went through leadership training was in high school and I'm sure that was like really different than (laughs) what was really different than what we're doing now. Um, so I, I, I really didn't know what to expect and we're two sessions in now. Um, and it's, it's, really causing me to do some self-reflection about like i was telling you earlier just uh fe- feeling like i'm better able to identify the gaps in my communication process <laughs> you're not alone,
0: <laughs> you're not alone. <laughs> like there's there's some plenty there's plenty big gaps with everyone which is why you would take something like this right
1: yeah yeah absolutely and so far, I'm really enjoying it. I mean, it's only, like I said, you know, two sessions in, they could teach us anything in the next 10 weeks, but um, like this past week, you know, talking about breakdowns in communication, um, just, it just has me really thoughtful and self-reflective. Uh, what'd, you, what'd you think about it?
0: That was good. I, I really do like hearing everyone's, because everyone in the group seems to have different backgrounds everyone's got stuff with either municipalities or some of them are consultants like myself, maybe they're entrepreneurial or they're working for um, mixed use firms. There's so many different ways that it kind of takes it on, but hearing their stories about their experiences with breakdowns in communication or whatever the topic of the day is, that to me is really interesting because you can garner a lot of different lessons from all of that, I think.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's just such a big topic.
0: That's how I was saying that at first. I was like, this topic is very big because it covers so many different areas of our lives because projects that we're working on are so complicated. I mean, they really are. Like when you think about putting a building and landscape and civil and all this stuff together and then having to make drawing sets and then provide those to a contractor who's going to then build the thing with all his subs,
1: yeah,
0: that's, that's a tall order.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you frame it that way and you're talking about communication like I feel like the communication we talk about in in this course is very much about verbal communication, either like talking to each other or email or or you know, however else you would have verbal communication like Zoom. Yeah. Um but like as designers, we're also very concerned with graphic communication and making sure that you know our our construction documents are legible and communicate you know how we want something to be built so i don't know just you got me thinking
0: well do you think there's less of a focus on the actual verbal written presentation of our material in the profession these days and more of a focus on those graphical elements where people can instantly read something with their eyes and try and make a assumption about what they're presenting or seeing.
1: I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that. My, my initial thoughts are like going through school and going through like, you know, your your internship, apprenticeship days before you get licensed. Like so much was graphic communication and so little was like present. Like we did some presentation work when I was in college. And of course, you know, as a young designer, you don't present so much because the the bosses are usually taking care of that with the clients and all of that. So I feel like, you know, the beginning part of your career, it's very heavily graphic. And then there's this transition point when you get to be, you know, project manager or senior landscape architect, and you're in charge of the verbal communication. Mm. And then maybe you're not so prepared for it because nobody's been teaching you.
0: Like, do you feel like that you are included in those meetings? Like when you were looking back, uh, reflecting on your younger days, when you were maybe at that point of being the production unit in the firm, producing all these graphics, were you included in those meetings? It sounds like you weren't based on your experience. Well,
1: well I, I was. I, I always worked for really um, thoughtful managers and bosses um, who who did make a point of making sure that the younger staff were at meetings. And um, of course we were preparing all the documents for the meetings too. Um, but like, you're there to observe. You're, at least in my experience, you weren't, I wasn't, I presented a handful of times and I remember every single time because it was so rare. Okay. <laughs> I don't know, like what, What? like, do you have a similar experience or was yours different?
0: No, it's not that different. I really don't think. Um, I felt though that I was being included at a meeting more, but not expected to talk. Like like it was almost, it was weird. Like I had different, obviously different jobs in the past, but it was felt like a lot of times if you were speaking, it was like, what are you talking? Why are you you saying anything? It, it It was almost like damage control. Like they're afraid you're gonna say something that would derail the meeting or completely throw off the whole presentation of what the idea and what they're trying to get across yeah. the client, which that, that, doesn't build you, fill you with confidence either.
1: No. And and I get it though. Like as a young, like if a client's asking you, you know, how much is something in to cost as a young designer? Like, I don't know the answer. Yeah. You know, and I'm I wouldn't just, be
0: like, yeah, it's going to be 60,000.
1: Y- you would hope not. You know, <laughs> not, but maybe if you're like, the one in charge in that scenario, maybe you're worried that something like that will come out of the young person's mouth. I don't, I don't know. I I haven't had a lot of experience in, I haven't had a lot of experience in managing very young designers. So I don't, I don't know what the expectations are or aren't.
0: Or even like not even presentation as much too, but I felt this in a lot of the team meetings in places i would worked where your value of opinion was not taken seriously because of your age or experience level.
1: I don't think I ever felt that way. That's good. I again I I've always had pretty good bosses. Um I've always felt listened to just not necessarily in a public context. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like I'll voice my opinions in in the studio, not at the client meeting.
0: But you're you're not wrong though in this Big focus on visual graphics as being such a, I wouldn't, I hate to call it a crutch, but it kind of is a crutch. Um, And maybe less focus on the actual verbal or written communication. And the visual graphics to me often are flat images. They're not evolving past that. And we're seeing that some with the rendering programs that are out now where you have walkthroughs or fly through animations, but um, I don't see it enough where they integrate that with pause moments where you might rest for a minute on one scene and say, here's some components of this, here's what we're thinking about. And having that be supportive of a presentation, like an actual presentation, talking.
1: Yeah, I feel like thinking about people that I've worked with or, and like admire, the ones that really stand out to me are the ones who do exactly what you're describing. Like when they do a presentation, they are taking those times to pause. They're taking those times to engage with the client or the consultants. Um, and th- those are the people that I definitely admire communication wise that I don't, I don't personally don't feel like I'm there. Yeah. I feel like yeah. I feel like I have some ways to go to get to that level.
0: Yeah, it's, I think even senior level senior level, um, principals and associates oftentimes might even have an overconfidence of what their communication ability is.
1: Honestly, I feel like that's me. Like yeah. prior, <laughs> prior, prior to this communication course, I was like, I'm a pretty good communicator. Like, how hard can it be? I, I, I communicate all the time. And then... <laughs> like week one taking ownership okay i'm going to be really reflective about this and then week two you know here are some common ways that things break down like oh i see that i see that i see that um
0: on that point do you do you want to do you mind taking a stab at the we got a shared document here that we're kind of looking at there's those three main points um, if you don't want to do it, I can do it, but I want to give you the opportunity to kind of run through those three, yeah. just to, be able to know, about what the main points are that we have with miscommunication or breakdowns.
1: Yeah, so the three points that we discussed in this class is like common ways for communication to break down is if communication is undelivered, um, is incomplete, or is misunderstood. So, maybe we can talk about each one of those independently about what, so I I got, I can actually pull out my notes from the class too, to kind of tell you what my takeaways were, but um, like undelivered communication, like what came to mind for me was if there's like an uncomfortable topic that I don't really want to talk about, but like maybe it needs to be talked about.
0: Yeah. Like a fear of actually approaching something and by, dwelling on it, you kind of decide to like just let that one go and hope that it turns out all right.
1: Yeah, like you know, thoughtful criticism is still criticism. Like it's uncomfortable. So I, I know that I personally would like I have to really get on myself if, if there's something that needs to be said to somebody like, hey, I need you to change X, y, and z. like I have to do a whole mental preparation thing <laughs> <to get> myself. <laughs> to like say
0: these things. <laughs> and there's, I was listening to a podcast that was discussing this and um, while I talk, I'll try and pull it up so I can see what she called it. But um, she was speaking about how there is like a method of being conscious of what your feedback is. So obviously soliciting feedback is a really good thing. Otherwise you're not growing. And from our last session, we learned that, like, uh, if you're going to be in a ownership mindset, you will have to be growing at all times. You're never stagnant. You're not going to stop growing. But to do that, you really need to solicit feedback. And some people don't take that so well. Um, I can't think of what her thing was without going into it. But she's basically saying, like, being um, it was using the word like candor. Um, like thoughtful, thoughtful candor, maybe is how she described it. Where you think about the other person, how do you provide feedback, but make it in such a way that fits with their personalities and their temperaments that you don't upset them, and also make it so that they can learn from it in a safe environment, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. To hear. Um, the other yeah, one
1: that was- that makes me think a little bit of um, Have you ever read the book Insight?
0: I took one of the insights quizzes back at an old company. Um, I
1: was just seeing if it was on my bookshelf conveniently. I think, it, I think the author's name is like Tasha Uric or something like
0: that. It sounds familiar.
1: Um, but anyway, that what, what you're just describing strongly reminds me of this book Insight, um, which is about, how do you solicit feedback, like candid, honest feedback from other people, and in terms of how do how are you perceived by other people? Interesting. Um, Does it get
0: super specific, like you're a so-and-so person with traits of blah blah blah, and a little bit of this?
1: No, not at all. It's 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 more it's more like um, here are some practical ways you can approach your let's say your boss to get their honest feedback about your performance. Okay. Um, Because if you just go to your boss and say, hey, I want feedback about my my performance, that's kind of an because of this whole undelivered communication thing, it's an uncomfortable thing to put some, like an uncomfortable position to put somebody in. Right. Um, So she talks about how you can frame it in different ways to get, to get like actually useful feedback. Oh,
0: cool. Okay.
1: And she also talks about like something that's really important. I I think to me, and probably to a lot of people is understanding whose insights are important and whose are not. So for example, it matters to me a lot, what my partner thinks about me, Mm -hmm. like how he perceives me. But at the same time, you know, if one of my coworkers has a negative opinion of me, like maybe that matters and maybe it doesn't.
0: Yeah, it depends and, on what the she, opinion is maybe.
1: Depends on the opinion, it depends how it affects your ability to work together. Mm. Um, and she kind of, she goes into like, when you're, when you're like, if I'm looking for insight about how people perceive me, I probably am not gonna go to that coworker. Right. Like I'm gonna go to people who are gonna be- Positive positive but like but also maybe not maybe maybe there's something about my personality that's not so positive but i need somebody who's going to come at me with some with caring vibes caring and loving vibes right to tell me that negative thing so that i can receive it compared to somebody who's just coming at me with negative energy
0: <laughs> yeah that's a good point i remember i was working an internship a long time ago so i was still young and I'd gone through this whole internship and at the end of it, it was me and a few other people that had done it. And we asked for feedback and the whole time we'd been working this internship, it was no issue, but come feedback, it was like, bam, bam. <laughs> it's like lambasted us. And we were like, uh, it was, it was really a uh, dip in cold water. It was shocking. And it was not the way to maybe do it. Cause it, we, we dwelled on it. All of us talked about it after like we dwelled on that for a long time. So like, man, I didn't I didn't know that I acted that way and that it was it came across in that fashion. And we're young and we didn't have we were very inexperienced at that point with like how we are perceived or what the thought is about our work or whatever. So yeah, that was it was not the best way to do that. So to your point, that's very important. And a lot of managers and upper level people may not have that. Necessarily, if it's all performance based.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I recommend the book. It's one of those books that I read really quickly and then realized it was like content dense. Uh-huh. So like I went back and read it slowly.
0: Okay, I've got it pulled up here um, on a browser so <laughs> I can look at it later.
1: Is it Tasha Yurik? I feel like it is. Tasha
0: Yurik, yep. Dang, dang, it's pretty good. The other topic with this was like fear was one for like undelivered messages often where like we don't want to approach something or we don't want to talk or think about it. The other one was um, bad timing was issued out. It could be that you got distracted and you didn't send an email or you got busy and it became less of a priority on your to-do list to go talk to X person about this one issue. And it kind of keeps lagging behind until the point where you're like, well, I might as well not talk about it anymore.
1: Yeah, Yeah, there are lots of ways that can be undelivered. Um, Just anytime you don't communicate, communication can't happen. It's kind of basic.
0: Yeah. (laughs) What about the other two?
1: Uh, So the next one is incomplete communication. Okay. Um, And actually, I'm going to pull out my notes real quick because somebody said something really profound during the the session well to me profound maybe it's not
0: so profound I'm curious if it's the one that I wrote down too um there, there was one that I wrote down when Mike was talking that was um about speaking up during like a meeting mm-hmm. like staying quiet it's like someone was saying in the group that they feel uncomfortable speaking up during a meeting for sounding like they're wrong or it might not happen. Mm-hmm.
1: Right.
0: yeah he said that the cost of because they were worried about being perfect. Obviously, you want to be right, and you want to say the right thing during a meeting. But the cost of the cost of perfect is speaking up was the the comment. And I was like, "That's it's a good point. That you're not going to get feedback, or you're not going to learn, or get out there unless you do speak up and make some mistakes and actually feel comfortable making mistakes. Like we're human. It's okay. We don't have to have the right solution every time."
1: Yeah, when we were talking about that fear of like not being perfect. That also resonated with me because, because again, this is this, these exercises, these sessions are ha- making me do more self-reflective and realizing how imperfect my communication is. And it's, my instinct is to just stop, stop communicating until it's perfect, but that's not how you get better.
0: Right. <laughs> not, <laughs> not at all. <laughs>
1: So like that that whole conversation we were talking about how you, you know, you, you're, you can't be perfect. You just have to do it. Um, you, know, you, you just have to speak up, you, even if it's not perfect. You have to uh, speak up, even though it's going to be imperfect.
0: A funny thing that I want to share with that is I, well, for one, we're all designers and I feel like designers in a room with other designers often are um, a bit insecure about not knowing something. <laughs> like it's, our job in some ways is to be confident in in public about knowledge and we have a plan and we know what's going on, everything's under control. And I would, I mean, as a, as a rep for different products, I might approach a group of people and say, all right, guys, we're gonna talk about this today. Has anyone ever, uh, is, does anyone here in the room not know about X, Y, or Z? And mm-hmm. you get a, a sea of flat faces and no hands. And then I'll say one thing, I'll say, it's okay if you don't, like, that's what we're here to do is learn. And then everyone looks around, they're like, <laughs> like hey, it's fine, it's okay. You don't need to know everything. That's what we're here to talk about. <laughs> but that, yeah. that one qualifying statement changed people's perspectives so dramatically. Just, just to say like, it's okay if you don't know what this is. Don't feel mm-hmm. embarrassed that it, it changed the mood of how people would interact in that meeting.
1: Yeah, and thinking about like you know people who I admire that I've worked with they they're really good at that at soliciting, you know, soliciting some information from folks and then when nobody wants to answer because it's scary to answer. <laughs> yeah. They're really good at saying, you know, yeah, it it's okay if you don't know. Just let you just communicate that much to me.
0: Yeah. Are you alive in there? Hello.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I was. I don't remember what book this is from. Um, if I. It was so the the man who wrote it. He's. He owns a construction company, somewhere, um, but he's blind, and he was. It's a book about communication, and he was talking about how he would hold like staff meetings and he would ask a question and people would like nod their head or shake their head and he's blind so he's like I need verbal answers from every single one of you (laughs) (laughs) and I like that kind of stuck with me like how often would it be actually beneficial to require people to verbally Mm. give their input
0: with like a verbal yes or no or, mm, 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 or even a hmm mm-hmm, hmm.
1: I feel like that's very non-committal. I would prefer a yes or a no.
0: It's it's like a thought <laughs> a yes. Hmm,
1: yes. hmm. that feels too non-committal to me. You do it, <laughs> you do it your way, I'll do it mine.
0: I wish I rhythm. remember
1: the name of that book. I don't remember it right now.
0: It's but it, it was
1: a book about communication and it was again, somebody who's in the construction industry and um, it was interesting that okay. that particular part of the book stuck with me. Which getting back to the incomplete communication mm. that's another example of incomplete communication. when the person who's receiving the information either isn't in a isn't in a place where they can receive the information, um or the information that you're giving is not the full picture, like your incommittal mm-hmm. <laughs> I would argue is incomplete communication.
0: Oh, <laughs> that's like the therapist like, response when they're like, "Yeah, I have these all these problems." They're like, "Hmm," and you're like, "What are you thinking about
1: me? <laughs> I'm not crazy, am I?"
0: <laughs> hmm.
1: We're not gonna go there. <laughs>
0: We're all a little bit of crazy.
1: A little bit. We're all on the spectrum.
0: With incomplete, we've gotten kind of the lost in translation talked about a bit where the actual response is not affirmative or you take it as being affirmative. Um, the lack of follow through was the other one that I thought was interesting. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm guilty of that because I want people to do their Like, if you say you're going to do something, I hope that it happens. And then when it doesn't happen, I'm like, okay, well, I should have probably done more.
1: Yeah. The hard thing with follow through, at least for me, is you never realize it's missing until it's missing. Like, because you don't want to be that person that's like hounding somebody. Like, hey, have you done this yet? Have you done this yet? Have you done this yet? But like if if it's the kind of task that somebody does need to be like i need to be reminded all the time about yeah. certain tasks like i appreciate somebody coming to be like hey have you done this yet
0: yeah a little poke
1: yeah like oh yeah that's supposed to be on my list and it's not on my list but let me fix that for you
0: bad timing came up and you uh you didn't put as well as undelivered you didn't put it on your list cuz it like mm-hmm. someone else like the dog came by and you're like oh cute dog
1: yeah so yeah, and also incomplete, like, uh, so another example I was thinking of with incomplete during the session was like, um, like I remember when I was younger, the bosses would um, say, I need you to detail x, y, and z. And I'd be like, OK, like, in theory, I know how to detail x, y, and z. And, and then I would do it and then I would take it back to them for review. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. You could never construct this. And it's like, all right, well, clearly I didn't have enough information. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like when there's, I, I feel like incomplete communication in my world happens a lot when there's just like the assumption that the other party knows all the details.
0: Yeah. And that actually couples in with the next one too. It does which is misunderstanding what other people's communications are or Mm -hmm. misunderstanding how you are communicating with someone else, which Mm -hmm. is probably the, that to me is the biggest of the three that I interact with on a regular basis is just completely revolving around misunderstandings or Mm -hmm. and I try more and more to remind myself that it's up to me as the communicator, to own that, and not to be, uh, play, you know, place the blame game on someone else. I'm like, why didn't they understand that? That's so simple. Because that's not helping. It's mm-hmm. it's on me to figure out whether or ownership. not ownership. Ownership. You gotta own it. You gotta own it. Are you accountable? I don't know. I'm misunderstanding.
1: <laughs> yeah, I misunderstanding. I think is also really hard, particularly like now when so much communication is virtual. Or email. Yeah, e- email is so hard.
0: It's like, do you write an essay or do you just have to make some assumptions or, or would it be better just to have a phone call? But phone calls well, are And the other easy. thing
1: too, like, so this can, you, be- before this recording, we were talking about like the challenges of being a woman in design. And emails are a big thing because I remember being told, like, as a woman, like my, my natural style of communication is very direct, like, hi, this is what I need.
0: Right.
1: And I remember being told as a, as a younger designer that I was coming off as a little brash. And so Mm -hmm. I needed to like soften my emails a little bit. So now I'll say like, hi, how are you doing? You know, good to see you last week at the such and such and such. So anyway, I wanted X, Y, and Z from you. Where is it? <laughs> yeah. And I, I it's something, you know, somebody told me. So I, I, I try to do it in my emails, um, but I don't know how relevant it is or isn't in today's day and age.
0: I would say it it is a relevant topic. And the reason I say it is I just read a book called um, Machiavelli for Women, talking about, it was very good. Uh, here is, I don't know if that's actually coming through
1: or not. I can see it, yep.
0: Very good book. I really enjoyed it because it was coming from the perspective, obviously, of how do you work as a woman in an environment that is dominated by Um, a power leadership that's mainly percentage-wise owned by men and typically men that are white. And it also applied to minorities or anyone that was not in the central dogma of ownership or power or influence in companies and advancing through careers. And I found it really intriguing and interesting to hear because that exact topic came up of like people were being told feedback, women were being told feedback of uh, the mindset, the the stereotypical mindset of how a woman should be. And it was interacting with the actual interactions of the people and and leadership. Like, man, she sounds really crass and direct. And that's okay for men to sound like that. But for a woman, that's not, it's not so okay. And I was like, that's really fascinating to hear that that's a thing and how in this book, she kind of talked about getting around that or, Understanding at least the game that mm-hmm. is, it was really interesting.
1: Yeah, I don't know. There's part of me that thinks there's. Hmm. So there's part of me that thinks there's value in the feminine email where you say, "How are you doing?" Like putting the person first. I think I I do think there's value in that and that exercise. And especially again for me, my since my natural tendency is to be so work focused to like remember to take time to, to appreciate that the person who's receiving this email is a person with a life. Like I think there's a lot of value to that. So part of me kind of thinks that we should be telling all people, men and women, to soften their emails. Mm-hmm. Um that that maybe the feminine way is just a slightly better way to communicate?
0: Or the complete opposite. If everyone was more just direct, like it's an email. It's not like we're composing a, a letter to someone. That's usually, it's the, the idea of an email is also changed to being like active ping Basically pong. Basically a text. Basically a text. Um, it's like, do you need that? I don't know. Um, I mean, I remember seeing a director at some point spent a lot of time writing emails that were multi-paragraph and very thoughtful and very well written. But at the end of the day, the person who received it wasn't reading it and they weren't getting the message. And it, yeah, it, it was all for naught. He'd come back and say something in response to that that was already addressed in the email. And you're like, well, do I just point out that it's already there or do I try and further clarify <laughs>
1: I'm I maybe there's a balance like start off saying, Hey, how are you doing? And then be very direct
0: down to business. Let's get down to brass tacks.
1: Yeah. Cause cause you're right. Like a lengthy flowery email is, it's just not going to get read in today's day and age. Like it's not like writing a letter. Email is not the equivalent of writing a letter.
0: Right. And like, so so my wife is um, from Europe. And she found so strange that we would, as a greeting, say, how are you or how are you doing? And she's like, but no one really wants to know. I'm like, I don't know. Some people do. I feel like I'm generally
1: curious. But if you don't want to answer, that's also okay.
0: True. That's fair. Would you say that um, what I just described was like the wrong method as a misunderstood topic? there's like assumption gaps in what you are saying, what you think you're saying and what the other person's hearing, or maybe the wrong method of delivering that message. Like the email can be construed as being this thing where it's not.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you, you kind of alluded to this earlier that, you know, sometimes what you need to communicate can be communicated in an email, but sometimes you need to pick up the phone and like, And there's like that very stereotypical, this meeting could have been an email.
0: Yes. Like the complete opposite of the spectrum.
1: Yeah. Like, did we really need to have a meeting to hear this information that could have just been a really quick email?
0: Right. And that goes to ownership too. Like in, we covered kind of a recap of last week's at the beginning of this week's session. And one of the things that I see the most often, and maybe you do too, but It's meetings, poorly run meetings where you do not have a clear objective of what you wanna accomplish from the meeting, what is your uh, presence in the meeting needed for and following through with the actual action items from a meeting, like a method saying at the end of it, like, guys, we're gonna do this. We're all in agreement, right? Everyone, good, okay. So you're gonna have this, you're gonna have this, you're gonna have this.
1: And And you you get your verbal yeses. Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You hear a lot of that. And then, like, a month later, when you come back, you're like, where's everybody on this? They're like, oh. They're like, do I make something up on the spot? Or I just didn't do it. I just didn't do it.
1: Yeah, I think it depends on what kind of task you're talking about. Because, like, so, for example, right now, my office is closed, so we have a lot of virtual meetings, right? Um, because it's the only way to communicate, and it's, in my opinion, really effective, even though not every meeting does have an agenda, right? Um, just as long as you kind of upfront know what you're supposed to be talking about. I have had a couple meetings that will. It's just somebody that I enjoy talking to. And so we'll, you know, we'll chit chat for five or 10 minutes and then get off the phone. But but for the most part, they're pretty effective. They're basically a phone call, but you get facial expressions.
0: Speaking of like, do you, do you take phone calls typically, or are they usually not seen or perceived as a nuisance? Whereas like you'd rather just have email in your own personal viewpoint. Because I know it changes from person to person. Some people hate phone calls.
1: Um, I don't. I don't mind phone calls. That <laughs> my problem with with professional phone calls right now is our firm switched to Zoom as our phone carrier. Oh, I didn't even know they had it. It that, it's a thing, okay. um, and it's it's on the whole very nice. But I haven't yet figured out how to get it to forward to my phone.
0: Oh, like the voice. So my stuff? computer
1: will light up and say, "Hey, you're getting a phone call," but I can't answer it. <laughs> because i don't know how
0: have you communicated that problem to someone in the department
1: i i honestly have not this is definitely an instance of undelivered communication Um, (laughs) and only it's only come up like once and i don't get very many phone calls i get i get a lot of emails i get a lot of zoom calls um but like people don't generally call me okay um like like on the phone if, if they're talking to me, they're generally on Zoom or Teams. Um, that, that's, my, that's my current struggle with phone calls. as like, I don't know how to answer them.
0: I do wish people would take more phone calls, though. Like from, from a coordination standpoint, I'll be honest, a lot of people may disagree, but I really feel like you can accomplish so much more effectively with like a five minute phone call to talk about something versus typing out an email, rereading the email, trying to see if the, uh, like what the perspective is from the other person.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: a lot of it is if, ands, or buts. So it's it's not really something you can piecemeal put together all these different scenarios. Like, well, if this happens, then here's my thoughts. If this happens, here's my thoughts. It's way easier just to get that over the phone. And then if you need to, for the sake of ownership, write notes and send it in an email after, or we're at the point now with like voice transcribing, you can take notes with your phone while you're talking on it.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think for me, Zoom ends up being a more valuable tool than a phone call because you can share your screen.
0: Mm-hmm. That too. So it's, that. it's
1: basically a phone call, but you can look at the same thing. Yep. and and for me that that saved a lot of time like not doing emails um like co- coordination with consultants you know you can just jump on a zoom call share your screen circle what you're talking about mark mark up a page yeah um which which is kind of like a phone call i mean there are there's certain information oh, yeah. where you don't need the visual um and then a phone call's Totally appropriate, right? And and like I still I still not now that I'm thinking about it more I like like our consultants on our projects have my personal phone number so they just call me directly, so I I do still get phone calls and I, for certain things. Right. Um, Are you
0: at that point where you put the, your um in like your signature? You'll even put your like cell phone.
1: No, it's privileged information.
0: Privileged information. <laughs> OK, because I was like a lot. I'm seeing that more and more and more that people actually put their cell phone numbers in their signature. And I've certainly seen it from both ways. I've had people call my office number and I'm like, I'm not there. I might like, just call my cell phone. So I put my cell phone on the on the signature. I, I prefer them to call that. It's never been abused, but I'm sure if I if it got abused by someone, I would probably start changing <laughs> Okay,
1: to, yeah. uh, I, so I used to work for a firm in Seattle, but I lived in Virginia. So uh-huh. um, the time difference, that's three hours time difference. And their phone system was set up. If you called my, I had a local Seattle phone number. And if you called that number, it forwarded to my phone. Okay. But I had to set up my phone to block those phone calls, like after a certain time, because the office didn't close until 8 or 9 p.m. Oh, like my time. Oh, gotcha. So I'd have I'd have colleagues trying to call me at like eight o'clock at night. And I'm just like, I don't work at eight o'clock at night. <laughs> yeah. Like call you me, call me at
0: seven a.m. Your time.
1: <laughs> yeah. Or or call me call me at noon my time. Yep. Like which is nine o'clock their time. Like you, you have the whole bulk of your day like a good six hours before I'm like definitely not answering my phone.
0: I hate that though. When I, I'll be wrapping up the last thing on my list, like four 30 or five. And there's like one thing that I need to get a quick answer on, but I'm always realizing like shoot it's four 30 or five. And I call the person like, please call me back, please. <laughs> I'll be all done with my list. I'll only take a minute. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I swear. You gotta plan ahead. It's communication. That's that's um, what's that one? Undelivered communication because of bad timing.
0: Mm-hmm. And it waits the whole weekend or whatever, and you're like, well, I guess it wasn't that important, wasn't? <laughs> or was it? The um the other thing I wanted to talk about because this is such a <laughs> to me, this is like the ultimate miscommunication, and it's I think probably going to be a thread throughout the whole series is our profession being called landscape architects. I think that that is the beginning of a misunderstanding for what people see us as, as a profession. Like, I don't have a good answer for what it should be called, but I do so think this that- this
1: is fascinating. So, okay. okay. So I'm teaching a introduction to landscape architecture course at Ball State University. Mm-hmm. And, our, our first week of the course is like, what is landscape architecture? And there's numerous literature that says landscape architecture is the wrong way to call it, but nobody has a better way to call it.
0: You want to hear my fun theory? This What's is fun your
1: fun theory? theory.
0: Um, I like the idea of taking both landscape and architecture out of it completely.
1: Mm-hmm. So I'll
0: explain after, but I think it'd be fun to call it like a...
1: Um,
0: what is the word I had, um, a site arbiter. Cause it's like someone who judges over the whole purview but it's not specific, but the word sites in there. What but I don't do feel like site relates to anything yet in, in, in another profession. Hmm. Like, and, and the reason I said this is like, the, I see two different responses from most people that don't know what a landscape architect is. And they hook on one of those two words. Either they're like, oh, you're an architect. And they're like, here's my architect friend. And I'm like, I'm not an architect. <laughs> it's very different from what I do and not at all related. Or they hook on the landscape part. Like, oh, you do landscapes and yards and stuff. Like, you can come do my yard. Everyone's heard this. But I think those two words are a problem that I have. The biggest problem I have is misunderstanding and, or assuming. And I think that people try and latch on if they don't understand something. They try to latch on like a, like a lifeboat to something mm-hmm. they can't comprehend. Versus like, no, we don't want to hear that you dabble in environmental issues or water quality or plants and horticulture or urban planning Mm
1: -hmm. or structural.
0: Like, they don't want to hear that. Like, it's too much. It's like our profession does a little bit of all these things, and it's hard to pin it down. So you almost need like a nebulous type name, I think.
1: But like I said, we spend an entire week of this course talking about what is landscape architecture because it's so nebulous right like it's the the term landscape architecture i would argue does kind of describe what we're doing like architecture is design we're designing the landscape like sure site architect maybe site architecture is the way to go i don't know but um yeah just just the fact that it takes a whole week of class to to get people who are not familiar with landscape because again it's introduction to landscape architecture so it's it's students who've by and large never heard of landscape architecture and trying to get them to understand what we're going to be talking about for the whole semester <laughs> was, was
0: actually the one who coined that
1: term like I don't even was actually... the one who coined the term
0: okay Olmstead <laughs> I know.
1: What are we going to well, do with them?
0: Can't live with them, can't live without them. Yeah, I don't I mean they didn't really have like mow and blow guys from True Green coming through. I don't know. Like it, it wasn't a thing to have like just a the, the. I guess maybe the image of a landscape designer wasn't a thing versus a landscape architect in terms of health safety and welfare and mm-hmm. what that means and the implications of that cuz in China. I, I worked at Turnscape for a couple of years, and while I was over there, I kind of learned like about their background culturally with landscape architecture. And I got to work with uh, Dr. Yukong Jin, who was basically the Olmstead in that area. Like it, it wasn't a thing as a profession mm-hmm. um, until probably the past twenty or thirty years it became a thing. And it was really just more garden design before it was not a disrespectful in any way but it was just very intentional about gardens like traditional chinese gardens of how they were laid out and oriented um but it wasn't the same as landscape architecture where you're taking this big picture view and you're trying to incorporate all these different systems together and people and ecosystems and animals and plants and blah 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 so like it it does become this big nebulous idea but yeah, they. I don't know that there is a better word or not, but I, I just feel like the miscommunication comes from the word in a way that people latch on to one or the other as their yeah. initial response.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, except that I don't think that there's a better way to describe it. Yeah, and and the, the is a
0: cool is, word though.
1: I mean, fair, <laughs> but. It's just—it's just such a big profession with so many different career paths that it's really hard. Like, I mean, it's just really hard to understand what it is.
0: And that's why we're going to
1: entire semester talking about what it is.
0: Yeah, I I didn't, and that's why it's never changed. I I definitely have been around, and I don't know that it should change. Honestly, it's just there isn't in my mind a much better word except i have the only thing i'm talking about is more just having an issue with people knowing that people will latch on to an assumption the mm-hmm. name doesn't help us i don't think in that sense but you're right like
1: well i mean like consider the word it's architect not... like like the word architect right it it has a specific meaning somebody who designs buildings but it's been co-opted in different ways. So there's like a, a systems architect or software architect, and exactly. Um, I, I totally different than like
0: a systems engineer, which I don't know how that is.
1: Yeah, are they engineers? I don't know. Maybe.
0: And maybe the architect has more like of a systems architect. They might have more interaction with like the user interface and how it looks mm-hmm. and how it's. The perception of it versus just the nuts and bolts of numbers and how it's put together. Um, anyone, since we're we're going to be posting this on YouTube, since anyone wants to post in the chat, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, if you
1: have a better a better way to describe
0: us, let's hear it. Like and just, uh, by the way, like and subscribe and smash that bell. And all that. Um, ew, ew. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. Right. I mean,
1: yes, do those things, but,
0: you come on, Jesse, get with the whole like hype.
1: I'm just, I'm just not a YouTube star,
0: but we're on the hype train now. Like we're, we're doing, we're doing the YouTube star We're we're YouTubers. Uh, okay.
1: Okay. I hope it's successful.
0: I, I, I don't think we misunderstood each other there at all.
1: We're, we're a breakdown <laughs> <of>
0: communication. <laughs> all right. Any, um, any closing topics or thoughts from you?
1: Um, well, one thing we didn't talk about that I have in my notes is like, mm-hmm. we, were, we talked about the consequences of ineffective communication and the opportunities of effective communication and
0: whether or not you get the like button or the dislike button on YouTube.
1: Yeah. So for example, opportunities of effective communication clicking on the like button or whatever the YouTube has, like that would be effective communication. And the opportunity is you could continue to get content like this delivered to you.
0: (laughs) That's the problem is we're going to keep making it regardless.
1: Yeah. It's just going to keep happening. Just keep happening.
0: But no, you're right. The consequences of inaction as well, or, not communicating or miss miscommunicating there is a bit of taking ownership of that right
1: Mm-hmm. yeah like the the thing i wrote down was that you just you don't achieve the right goal mm-hmm. so like you might you might be communicating enough to achieve a goal right but maybe it's not the one you were trying to to go for so
0: can you do you have any specific examples in like your life or experience professionally that have been that way where it might have or maybe it's like the example you gave up before where you were asked to create a detail but it was not specific so you created a detail that you thought was achieving that goal and then it was completely off from what the director or not constructible not constructible even not with
1: the knowledge I have today I can tell you not constructible
0: (laughs) what was it by the way can I ask
1: um it was a deep so it it's going to be hard to describe we were doing custom art lights but bo- not bollards really more lights okay um and we were trying to figure out how just how to make them work um,
0: <laughs> okay
1: it's they 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 are currently constructed and they're beautiful they're in Bothell Washington um, around the library. Okay. If, if you happen to be in the area, you should check them out. They're beautiful.
0: You know, They're I did like, work with lighting.
1: Yeah. So we did these custom lights that there, it was, it's a group of three lights at different heights. And then we did custom laser cut metal powder coated images. Like a, And we like did, a, yeah. we, we did like local I think like sandhill cranes and salmon and I don't even remember what else, but I have, bubbles were a big part of it. Lots of bubbles. Cause it was along a the project was daylighting a creek. Okay. Um, so they daylit a creek and then they wanted to have a bunch of public art, public functional art. Okay. That, um, celebrated that creek. So I gotcha. Yeah. So
0: you were basically taking like a frosted lens type lighted bollard and then adding like a mesh stencil on the outside to create the patterns and shapes.
1: What we ended up doing, so we ended up having the panels laser cut and then bolted bolted together and then doing a frosted plexiglass behind the panel. Okay. And then there was an interior core and we wrapped, maybe it was just like rope light even, something simple. We just- wrapped around the middle. That's pretty cool. So, so like, so it's like a lit beacon.
0: I'd love to have uh, a series after, like later on down the road that talks about like, it revisits maybe some of these things that we've done in our professional lives. Like the design, see like, how do they hold up? Like, has it now? Yeah, like
1: a lessons learned sort of yeah. thing. Yeah,
0: <laughs> we, we don't do that near enough for like, man, this thing looks great. Moving on to the next thing.
1: Yeah. I have a couple of projects that like, in retrospect, like, yeah, I would have done them differently.
0: Right. <laughs> well,
1: that, that could easily be a whole
0: series. <laughs> that could easily be, or maybe like a reoccurring segment, like every once in yeah. a while. <laughs> Lessons. I'm do right. it
1: better next time. If you're ever doing this, try this instead.
0: Or call it like A for effort.
1: <laughs> like E for effort. E for effort.
0: <laughs> it's off the charts, Jesse.
1: It's like elementary school grading. It's better. Okay.
0: I think we are probably at time. Um, Yeah. You got anything else before I close this out?
1: No, I I think this has been a very interesting conversation. I hope other folks enjoy it too.
0: Well, good. Thank you. I appreciate you coming on too uh, and taking some time out for this because I think it's neat to get different people's perspectives from the group. We're going to still continue to try and get different folks from the program to come through for these next, I guess, 10 sessions after this. Um, and I'm glad that you're part of it and hopefully learning a lot. I'm very happy to be learning a lot right next to you. So thank you, Jesse, for coming on. Thank you. And we will see everybody in the next episode three next week. All right. Bye, guys.